I knew enough now about alcoholism to know I would drink again, and it's a progressive disease, so I would find myself as if I had always been, you know, had been drinking that whole year. I really started to feel like my only solution was to kill myself. That sounds shocking. I was 24 years old, but I was, I knew I had no hope. It took me two months to find that man and ask him for help. And, uh, he prayed with me and he said, you know, if you don't think there's any other help, if there isn't some man in India with a magic pill, if you're really at the point that you have no solution, I'll ask Jesus to do what he did for me, which is to promise never to let you think another drink is okay. And um, he did pray for me. And I believed that prayer and hope entered my life. And I did not even understand at the time the power of hope, because when you've been an alcoholic and you have built a relationship or a home or a career or put a few semesters into school, you know that you're going to pull it all down on your head. Welcome to the show. You're listening to the Hope Radio Podcast. Stories, profiles, and interviews of courage, triumph, and perseverance. My name, my name is Sean Davis. I happen to be your humble host. And joining me as always, my co-hostess with the mostest. Her name is... Just Jen. Oh, I love that. (laughs) Yes, you are. You are true to yourself. You are just Jen. That's right. I love that. Thank you. You are awesome. You are awesome. No, you are awesome. Okay. I, We're going back and okay. see, we can't accept compliments very easy. I just did. <laughs> you did? Yeah, I said, okay. Oh. Thank you. Wow. I'm the worst go. at saying thank you with a compliment. You are? Yes, because I don't like compliments. I feel awkward. I love giving compliments. I can compliment any stranger, any person, anybody. But like when I get a compliment in return... I get all awkward. I know. I do the same thing. I don't. Why do we do that? Why can't well, we just say thank you and move on? I know. So here, here's here's my thing. Mm-hmm. As you know. Yeah. Being my wife. Right. Being together for 26 years. Yes. Well, 31. Yes. If you count when we were dating. Okay. I'm a recovering narcissist. Yes. Yes. So I feel like if I accept that compliment and internalize it, it like moves me closer to my narcissism. So I got to shun it. I got to get it away. I got to, yeah. no, don't touch me. It's like Teflon. Don't, no. Well, then maybe I'm a narcissist. Because <laughs> that's how I feel. Really? Yeah. I just feel like I don't, I don't need it or nor want it. Yeah. But why do we avoid it? I don't know. Because people like to compliment. Like I love complimenting and making people happy. I know. But people like doing that for you, but yet you, it's, it's hard for... It's kind of like I am more of a giver than a receiver. Like, I love giving gifts. I do not like receiving gifts. That's true. So, I don't know. I'm just Jen. It's a conundrum. Yes. You know what I think? What do you think? I think I want to play with your belly button. Oh, my God, weirdo. <laughs> I've been waiting to say that for I don't know how long. You're weird. Why? I'm leaving. Why are you leaving? Because that's weird. Isn't it, so it's backstory to this. Mad and I wrestle. Yes. 
you know, so my Mad- Madden's 13. He's our he's our youngest, but he's small for 13. Uh-huh. He looks more like a 11-year-old, 12-year-old. <laughs> but we know. tell him he's really tall and big. And so he comes in, and when he says goodnight, he comes in, and, like, we do this play wrestling mm-hmm. in the bed. It's annoying. Why do you think it's annoying? Because you guys are, like, jellyfish flopping all over the freaking bed. When you're trying to just when chill. When I'm trying to chill. Yeah, and you get, then you get mad at us. And so anyway, yeah. it's like this, we're trying to play this tickle game. He's trying to get it, you know, my armpits. It's, he's gotten stronger, by the way. Like, he's, he's more physical. But he, here's how I end it. I can end it. By playing with his belly button. <laughs> so gross. And what's so weird, it's like, but you know what's so weird about it? Is mm-hmm. it's, it feels like you're, like someone's touching your innards. I don't, I'm not touching anybody's belly button. <laughs> I do not like This it. was my attempt just to get you to say belly button. Say it again. Belly button. <laughs> you, Jen emphasizes both T's. Well, because it has two T's. You have to say both T's. You have to say both T's? Uh-huh. Belly button. Button. I don't know. Anyway, I just I just had to say that because I, I knew it would create a reaction. Ugh. And he'd be like, what are you talking about? It's gross. Don't ever touch people's belly buttons. Well, like, and pl- don't play with ever it. Feel it. No. It feels weird. I'm not, I'm not ever doing that. <laughs> not even when I'm 80. I'm not doing it. Okay, I'll let you off the hook. Okay. Are you ready for joke time? I'm always ready for joke time. That you got a joke? Belly buttons are not jokes. Yes, they're funny. They're not I funny. bet you if I rubbed your belly button, you'd laugh. My phone says the temperature is really hot in here. It is really hot in here. No, I'm not even kidding. No, I know you're not kidding. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. You better stay off your phone. It's giving you a warning message. It's going to blow up. It's going to Remember how phones used to catch on fire? You had one of those. What? The Samsung. Oh, the ones that would be like, yeah. The ones that wouldn't let you fly. Yeah, they wouldn't let you fly with it because they're yeah, afraid it was going to My gonna... phone is going to blow up. Well, blow on it. No. <laughs> not doing that. <laughs> okay, do you know your joke? Um, you go first. All right. I'm going to go first. So okay. here it is. Yes. What's the difference between a well-dressed man on a bike and a poorly dressed man on a unicycle? The unicycle guy's cooler. A tire. Um, that's kind of the same thing. <laughs> Not really, but kind of. <laughs> Oh, How's man. that the same thing? I don't know. It's hot in here. I know it is hot. Yes. Are you are you sweating? I'm sweating. Okay. Well, then just tell your joke and okay, then we can move ready? on. Okay. Yes. Let's go. All right. Let's hear it. Okay. I'm going to tell a joke about a banana for Gavin because Gavin loves bananas <laughs> and he's editing the show. So I like right. to throw in banana jokes once in a while. All right. Okay. So why do bananas put on sunscreen before they go to the beach? Why do bananas put on sunscreen before they go to the beach? I don't know. Because they peel. <laughs> <laughs> That's for you, Gab Dab. That was cute. Yeah, I like that cute. one. That I like banana good. jokes. I might tell an- another one. You like banana jokes? Yeah. Well, what about the other fruits? Why did the banana go to the doctors? I don't know why. Because he wasn't peeling well. <laughs> Did you just roll out two jokes? I'm so, I so won this one. <laughs> you can't I'm roll tell out. another banana joke. No, you okay. can't tell all your jokes. I've got lots of jokes. Oh, you just wait. I've, wow. I've got years of jokes. Oh, I, I don't know if to be excited or intimidated. I might be the biggest joke. <laughs> <laughs> That was a joke. Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> you make me laugh. <laughs> See, I won. You did win. <laughs> All right, so we have some we have some 
guests to interview. Specifically, we have a very special guest to interview, Jennifer. Okay. We are going to talk with Mary Beth Mudrick. Mary Beth Mudrick. I like that. And uh, I'm not going to reveal too much mm-hmm. about her story. Okay. But I'm just going to tell you right now, you will not believe what she's been through. And given what she's been through, how faithful and God-loving she is. Oh. It's going to be a story of hope. I love stories like and that. And it's a, it's going to be a story of hope that people connect to. Okay. You ready? I'm ready. Should we call her? I think we should. Let's call Mary Beth, get her on the line, and let's talk to her about her life, her story, and God's goodness. Okay. All right. I've got Mary Beth Mudrick on the line. Mary Beth, welcome to the show. How are you today? I'm doing great. Hi, Sean. Hi, Jen. How are you guys out in California? Hi. We are doing fantastic. It's a sunshiny day. I will tell you that the temperature is starting to elevate. It's supposed to be like 107 this weekend, if you can believe that. It's super hot here. But that's okay. okay. We're feeling a little toasty. (laughs) But how, how about you? What area of the country are you in? So I'm calling from South Florida, West Palm Beach, oh. and actually it's only the 90s here. So we, you know, um, cold snap. Yeah. Um, we're relaxing <laughs> <Perfect>. here. <laughs> I think the humidity is a little different, though. Like that, that takes the temperature up a bit. Uh, when you're in Florida, yeah. I think that that takes the temperature up. Just a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're so happy to have you on the show. We were so excited to talk with you because I think that you have despite some adversities in your life, lived a life of hope and faith and God's love. And I know in our prior discussion, I was just literally floored with uh, your view of not only your fa- the faith that you have in your life, but of God and of the circumstances that you've, you've weathered in your life. It was just really hope instilling to me to speak with mm, you. Yes. So I just want to say that that's, mm. we're, we're, we're excited to talk with you. Right. Oh, that's wonderful. Well, <laughs> that's worth the price of admission. If I encourage the encouragers. Yeah. <laughs> no, no pressure on that, by the way. No, no, no pressure at all. Well, why don't you tell us a little bit about your, of your life? And I think that maybe we can begin with, um, you know, wherever you want to start, but you know, what I'm thinking of is when we talk about hope and talk about, kind of overcoming some challenges in your life, I really feel like, you know, for you, you've had your fair share of challenges. So why don't you uh, bring us up to speed on a little bit about about your life? Okay. Um, Well, thank you. Yes, I I have had some challenges and and, um, some of those of my own making, but through them all, uh, the longer that I, I live, the more that I see that there's been a reason for the things that I've gone through. And, and more than that, and more importantly than that, that God's never left me, even though I've felt uh, at times in my life hugely estranged from him. So I think the the first one that might be helpful and hopeful to others is that I uh, was an alcoholic. And that would surprise people that knew me because I was really good at keeping that a secret, a whole double life. And I hadn't been raised in a family with alcohol. My parents didn't drink. And, and in fact, I was encouraged as a kid to, to go to church. And I belonged to a youth group and sang in the church choir. But after high school, a combination of events of, I had a dream of going to, to college. But by that time, the money was gone for me to do that. 
And I watched my friends go away to college. And then in the space of two years, lost both my mother and my grandmother. And it just seemed at 19 years old, like everything good in the world was gone. And I started drinking having really never tasted alcohol before, maybe had a sip of my dad's beer, but it was in my life like a magic elixir. I I went from being the, the girl who had crossed eyes and a figure like a, a box of spaghetti to the bell of the ball. <laughs> I've never I've never heard that term before, but like you gave me a visual right away. <laughs> the whole box of spaghetti. Yeah, the whole the whole the whole box. The whole box. <laughs> now was it so social? It was a real answer. Yeah, I agree. Was Go it ahead. social drinking? You know, did it start with like because you're in high school, you're 18, 19 years old. You, you know, was it was it parties that began that idea of? consuming alcohol to kind of alleviate the stress or the pain or, or whatever? Yes. Outside of high school, I had graduated. So gotten through the teen years, you know, with the help of great peer pressure and belonging to a youth group. And it was, it was, it began as social, but it was, um, I enjoyed drinking. It, it was fun. It alleviated any of my, um, doubts about myself. It gave me social bravery and, sharpened my wit or so I thought and and it was loads of fun up until right up until it wasn't which was I thought normal people counted how many drinks they drank to eliminate the the certain consequences of trouble um, from drinking and I uh, soon found out in a couple of space of years that even counting the drinks even trying to be careful about the consequences of my drinking didn't work anymore and that was a, a big, ugly slide that took everything that I really cared about with it. I and mean, I couldn't stop. And I was a determined person in every other area of my life. Very, very self-willed, very capable. But this was one thing that I could not control and couldn't get out of. And was hit with the cold, hard fear of, I'm, I'm cooked. So I, I, I asked for help. I spent a year without drinking, and that was really one of the worst years of my life because the obsession never left me. I knew enough now about alcoholism to know I would drink again, and it's a progressive disease. So I would find myself as if I had always been, you know, had been drinking that whole year. I really started to feel like my only solution was to kill myself. That sounds shocking. I was 24 years old, but I was, I knew I had no hope. I had been going to um, AA meetings. I was going to two a day, doing everything they, they said do. And a man walked in um, to a meeting that I'd never seen before. And I was there all the time. So um, it was remarkable that I'd never seen him before. But he told his story and he told about this whole new life that Jesus had built for him, that he was building buildings and uh, he'd never built buildings before, but he learned carpentry and he told a story of a man pulling off the side of the road to teach him how to use a tool that he didn't know how to use. And I heard that. And that was really the first time I recognize it now looking back. That was, that stirred hope in me because I knew I was too far gone. I was convinced I was too far gone to, for God to care I believe that Jesus helped him 
And that just started my journey. It took me two months to find that man and ask him for help. And uh, he prayed with me and he said, you know, if you don't think there's any other help, if there isn't some man in India with a magic pill, if you're really at the point that you have no solution, I'll ask Jesus to do what he did for me, which is to promise never to let you think another drink is okay. And um, he did pray for me. And I believed that prayer and hope entered my life. And I did not even understand at the time the power of hope because when you've been an alcoholic and you have built a relationship or a home or a career or put a few semesters into school, you know that you're going to pull it all down on your head. So you stop trying. And that prayer, I began to hope again. I began to hope that if I bought some nice clothes, it would be okay because I'm not going to pass out and rip them all up. Uh, if I apply for a job, I'm not going to have to call in sick the next day or explain to a boss why I didn't show up for work. So whole, whole new life began for me that uh, came because of hope that, that Jesus gave me. That is so powerful. That is such a good message. And what I like about that message is, so a man shows up, he talks about the, the love of Jesus, mm-hmm. talks about hope in general, talks about a guy that pulled over to show him how to use a tool that he didn't know how to use a tool with. I, I get fascinated yep. with stories like that because here we are, yep. years, 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 years later, yeah. talking about that, this yeah. and extending yeah. that act of kindness in a, in, a, in a different way. But it was somebody taking the time to make a difference in somebody yeah. else's life that then that story gets shared again, again, and again. But like that was hope instilling in you. And it was like the connection mm-hmm. between your childhood, which was, a, you know, we went to, we went to church and I mean, you had some familiarity with God and Jesus and the whole idea of, of the power of religion, etc., and spirituality. And then you lost that to some degree, lost that hope, all of it. And then it comes flooding back into you with, with a conversation, a guy showing up to have a conversation with your you know, group. And so that to me is so God's love, so powerful, so mm-hmm. awesome. <laughs> I hadn't thought of it like that. I love it. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's like, it's like the, the chains <laughs> of God's goodness <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and they, they just keep rolling a, down the tracks. It's, it's like, mm-hmm. I don't know. It's just, it's just one of those things that, that I connected. It was a small act of kindness that now, even today that <laughs> we're talking about, and this guy that perform the act of kindness has no idea that it's having an impact or that it had an impact on the man that talked to you. And then that subsequently you're talking to me and then we're sending it out into the universe right now (laughs) to a whole bunch of other people that could be listening to it, you know, just small, small acts. Mm. Yeah. That's, that's really, really good. And I think what was interesting about your story is the fact that you didn't grow up in, in with alcohol in the home. And I, I think it's easier for us to understand sometimes how that that cycle gets passed but i think it's so important for people that are listening to understand that alcohol can be a very slippery slope it's one of those things that you need to you need to recognize can lead down a path very similar to the path that it took you down and uh, it's very destructive in that way it is and i I think when i look back on that period of my life i was alone Mm 
my people were gone. My friends were gone. My mother was gone. My grandmother was gone. At any other time in my life, it had had no appeal at all. But it's like, you know, my deep sorrow and being convinced I was worthless. So, you know, what the heck? Um, this had been something that was was um, verboten to me. Um, had no interest at all. It wasn't for me. But at that time in my life, being alone, being feeling worthless. So, I mean, it's a thing that it's on my radar when I'm around people or meet younger people that are are isolated. It's not good to be so isolated and so alone. And you don't need to be. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think the feeling alone is a really, really challenging situation to uh, to deal with, for sure. Now, this this was not the first occurrence of challenge or tribulation that you went through, but you did find recovery. You have been sober for how long now? Uh, since 92, June 4th. Wow. Congratulations. What a, what a testament to not only God's love, but like your ability to keep that commitment to yourself. It's been the promise of that prayer. That's been the linchpin because that was a that was a streak of insanity that you know I I had no defense against. I remember my last one of the last times I I drank was uh, I all I wanted in my life was a was a college education and I put together a few semesters and was putting myself through college and hadn't had a drink maybe in a couple of weeks and I was up studying for finals and plain as day I thought about the gas station on the corner and how I could get a six pack of old Milwaukee and could not think of any reason why that wasn't a good idea so of course I went and did it and it drank all six and um, overslept missed my finals was so ashamed I dropped out of school and that was really that was my last there it had cost me something that meant the world to me and, and that might sound like a funny thing to break somebody but that that did it because I cared deeply about graduating from college and now I truly had no hope I just it, why sign up for another class why even try again because I won't make it I don't have any defense against this and that prayer that he would promise me never to let me think another drink was okay changed That's, my life. Oh, changed it forever. The power of words, yes. the power of communication, the power of prayer. Yes. Did you get goosies? Yes, I did. I can tell. I can tell by the way you got your, your face and you got goosebumps. I love that. Like just, just like you can feel it. You can sense it, right? Oh, I feel it. <laughs> I'm feeling it. <laughs> You know, just thinking about my own story, like God, God took alcohol away from me in a moment because of a prayer. Right. So I think that that's yeah. what she's connecting with. Like I mean, I never same thing. It's like how he works. Yeah, I, I, I drank probably yeah. heavily for mm-hmm. four years, maybe five years. Yeah, at least four or five. Maybe even longer than that. <laughs> it she's, seemed longer. She's giving me this twinkle eye that it was probably longer than that. But, um, you know, I, I got to a point where, you know, I was facing ruining and losing everything mm-hmm. that I valued in my life. Yeah. And I just, I remember surrendering and I remember falling to my knees and just going, God, 
you know, you can take my life, you can take my business, you can take take whatever you need to take, but I just cannot continue to mm. exist like this. Right. I I need your help. Sure. I I I'm I'm overwhelmed and I just felt flooded with peace mm-hmm. and I felt flooded sure. with uh comfort. I did not feel alone in that moment and from that moment on I haven't touched uh alcohol mm-hmm. at all. I haven't had a drink. That was okay. in uh 2009, September of 2009. So uh, He's I, so I, good. he yes. is, I hear what you're saying. Now, this was not the only formidable struggle that you had in your life. No, <laughs> <laughs> no, it wasn't. Um, I think what you're referring to is um, in 2014. So fast forward now, you know, I've got quite a few wonderful years living a born-again life and putting a life together. So that life included a great job at university and um, wonderful friends and a life, a beautiful life. And I started feeling exhausted. And when I looked at what was going on in my life, I had a full-time job. I was taking a French class on my lunch hour. And for the past three years, I had been incubating a home-based bakery. So I'd come home from work and bake, and then on the weekends, took my show on the road to the green markets and sold my wares. But it was a very full schedule, so I could explain away the fatigue. And I was getting to the age where having my cycles be irregular wasn't unusual. A couple of other couple of other things. Um, I was so busy. I was, you know, some, sometimes having a bag of potato chips for lunch. So I, I I was bloated. My stomach was bloated in a funny way, but I could explain it all away. But the the thing with my cycles finally caused me to, to go to the doctor. I talked to a friend, a girlfriend about it, and she really said, what are you waiting for? Get to the doctor. Well, just to make a long story short, I had stage two ovarian cancer. And that was like being hit by a bus and living. It just... It never entered my mind. Um, I was a healthy, slender, busy person, and this was not in the plans, and it totally took me by surprise. So, How did you process that oh. in the moment? Like, uh, And then relative to your alcoholism, you know, did, did it in that moment, did you, did you get those pangs of, I just want to numb this, I don't want to think about this? No, because in that moment, it, the news itself was so numbing. Literally, it was like being hit by a bus. I, I couldn't, I could hear what the doctor was saying, but I couldn't really hear what she was saying. And she was telling me, I can't even see her as a doctor anymore. I need to see an oncologist. And I needed a total hysterectomy. And I remember bargaining with her, maybe I can keep an ovary. I mean, it was just stunning news. So that sets you, that type of diagnosis sets you into a chain of events that you need testing, you need surgery. When you recover from the surgery, you get chemotherapy. And when you and I were talking, I was saying that even a difficulty like that, after the fact, you find some gold in it. And when I look back at that, I tried to think what happened during that time that might be the most useful to other people if I told them about it. And I I think 
it's the circumstances of my life at that time and, and something Jesus said to me. I'm starting chemotherapy or maybe I've had a treatment or two. And the type of chemo I had, all of my hair was gone. All of my hair. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> like every hair. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> every hair everywhere gone. Wow. And they, uh, after treatment, give you a shot to make your bones make some white blood cells. And that is like having somebody beat your bones. It just, it hurts. So I'm getting into the bathtub and I was going into the bathtub because I could run the water and cry. And I put my leg over the, the edge of the tub and I remember thinking inside, I just wish I could pray for healing, but I can't. And the reason why I couldn't is that I was living with my boyfriend and there was never a time that I didn't know I'm wrong. I'm just, I'm wrong. I know it's not right. I, I love him desperately, but it's, it's wrong. And so I'm getting into the bathtub and I think I can't even pray for healing. And I heard plain as day, but you've forgotten who you're asking. Oh, oh that, that's, that, that chokes me up too. Oh, wow. It's so what true. What was so remarkable to me about that was we don't earn God's love. We don't qualify for it. We don't ever earn healing. It is a free gift. Mm-hmm. And this, this scripture even says, my need gives me a right. It qualifies me for his help. And that, that just changed everything. That, that he'd reach out to me like that, love me anyway. And I'll tell you what, you hear something like that, and it straightens your life. He loves us so much that he just looks past all this stuff. Yeah. And I think that's one of the most valuable things that came out of this. Because, you know, I think all of us, to some measure, not think God will love us when we get everything right. And there's nothing farther from the truth. He just loves us all anyway. Mm-hmm. Come as you are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's nothing you can do that will ever outshine his love for you. There's nothing that you can do to ever earn it, it's yours to take. And I think that that, you know, what I love about that is that, and, and for those that aren't spiritual or faithful, you know, I know exactly what you're talking about when you said, I wish I could pray for healing, but I can't. And then you heard something in your spirit. It was it was like a message coming into your mind, in your spirit. You know, it didn't drive from you. And you heard this, have you forgotten who I am? Have you forgotten what you can do through yeah. me? Or, you know, how, how, it, I can't remember the exact words, but the point of it is, is that you, you felt it in your being, in your essence, and you felt yeah. comforted because mm-hmm. of it. Yeah. 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 That's his love. That's, so that's him. Yes. That's him wanting that relationship with us, wanting that day to day, every day relationship with us. And there's nothing that you can do that will make him not want that. I love that. Mm-mm. Yeah. Did I do good, Jen? You did good. Yeah. <laughs> it just it, we can't do anything wrong. Like he created us, he made us, and he knows we're going to make mistakes and do things the wrong way, and yet he still is there for us always. Yeah. Jesus's blood covers mm-hmm. everything. Yeah. 
covers everything. It doesn't mean you go out and purposely do bad things. No, I'm not saying that. <laughs> I'm just saying. But like he's just always there for, you know, he's always forgiving us and he's always just like, child, I've got you. The best father oh, ever. Boy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so how did your cancer story end? My prayer was give me remarkable health. Mm. Give me more coming out of this than I got going in because I had an entry-level job that was going nowhere, and that was the reason for the bakery. I can't imagine going back to where I was when this happened to me, so give me more coming out. And so that was six years ago, and the term for my state is NED, no evidence of disease. And to just put that in perspective, ovarian cancer has a five-year survival rate of 47%. Breast cancer is at about 90 because there's no screening test for the disease. To make it to six years to not even look like I ever had cancer, you know, I would say that's pretty remarkable. And he took me from an entry-level job um, while I was out on sick leave. My office actually closed. And he made it possible for me to have a job when I came back assisting two people that eventually I would learn both of those jobs and be promoted into the the career I'm in now, having just come back and and being the assistant of the person that was in the work that I do right now. So he's certainly done what I asked and more. And and I, I just think it's if we ever dare to turn our face even slightly towards him, it's like he just can't wait to pour out love and blessings and goodness for us. He doesn't even ask us to get it right. You know, he's, he's not asking us to be able to do it complete. Just just start moving in that general <laughs> direction. If you can't move, lean that way. <laughs> so true. I, I, I love that. And uh, well, well said. And I, I just, I love his love and I love that relationship, his, his goal of, of just really having a personal one-on-one relationship with us on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. And, I, and I love what you're talking about, mining for those nuggets. You know, through that adversity, mm-hmm. what can I learn? Mm-hmm. What can I take with me? What can I use yeah. to further me, to advance me in my faith, in my, in my strength, in my perseverance, etc.? cetera? I, I love that. You know, searching for the nuggets mm-hmm. in the yeah. despair, searching for the nuggets in the devastation, yeah. you know? Now I would I would love 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 to say that was the end of your trials and tribulations, but I know it wasn't. So let's talk about uh, probably the most significant thing that has happened to you that just uh, really kind of rocked your world. Well, it did, and it's kind of funny. You've just heard a story of somebody diagnosed with ovarian cancer, and wait, there's something worse. Yeah. <laughs> what could that possibly be? So the ovarian cancer woke me up and I said to my boyfriend at the time, I'm not pressuring you, but uh, I'm, a, I'm a Christian and, and I, I just want to live like one. And uh, we got married and what a wonderful man. Having been there right beside me through cancer, through good times, through bad times, wonderful, wonderful man. He had a cerebral hemorrhage, and I lost him in 24 hours, 18 months ago. And uh, before he passed away, he was in excellent health. But before he passed away, he was. We were visiting with 
with family and I looked across the room at him looking at his brother and looked at the look on his face. He loved his family. He, he loved everybody, but that particular look of him looking with love at his brother and I, I thought to myself, what a fine man. And then equally, I did not know that it was a thing that your bones could be satisfied, that you could be so content and so happy that that level of satisfaction in life, oh my goodness, I loved him desperately and he loved me back. And we just had such a happy, fun life. He was, I will take a flyer and say he was a bigger goofball than both of you combined. (laughs) (laughs) He was so much fun. He He was a goofball. Loads of fun. And very smart. So yes, having waited a very long time um, to have really a dream come true, which was to be married to my friend and to have him just gone. Now, I kind of alluded to this when you asked me the question earlier, Sean, did I want to drink? Now, this one, since nothing could prepare me for losing Ron, nothing, nothing could prepare me for it. I knew I need help now. This is no joke. Um, I'm going to have a, a flame out. I'm going to have an, an unraveling that's going to take my whole life apart. And I can't do that to Ron. I can't do that to people that have invested so much in me. And I asked for a couple, asked a couple of friends and I found a Christian counselor to go see because, because of what I've just said. I said, this, thing, this is too hard. I need to know somebody in this world that has some tools to handle something like this because I can't do this one. I, I, I'm going to need help. And I'm very glad I did that. I, I, without seeing a Christian counselor to get some real tools to handle grief and that type of shocking grief. I would have, I know exactly what, what would have happened and it wouldn't have been good, but quite the opposite has happened. So I guess the question that, that I would have, and, and I know that this is circling around in Jen's mind, like she just, you, you know, sometimes life isn't fair, but I, I feel like yeah. you've had your fair share of adversity. I think you've had a double, now a triple helping, if not even more so than that. At, I mean, did it did it at all make you struggle with your faith? I mean, did you did you say like, haven't I been through enough, God? Like, haven't haven't I? Like, I mean, did, was there ever a time where you just felt like, uh, why me? Uh yeah, yeah. Well, I think my catchphrase was, "I know your plans are good, Jesus, but I don't particularly like them." <laughs> I mean, I was just honest. It is the yeah. best way I could be. And, you know, when an event like that happens, I think there's also, there's a blessing that comes, and this might sound bizarre, I don't think I've ever even said this before, is that there's a, there's a numbness that happens that I swear took nine months to lift. And I, I think it's a protective coating he puts on you just to, you know, get you through the days. Did I feel like it wasn't fair? Yes. Uh, it particularly losing Ron. and. And it wasn't just me either, because he was very, very full of life and very well loved. He'd been a, a columnist for our local newspaper for 33 years. So people just loved him. And it was a shocking thing that hurt a lot of people to imagine, a, you know, to wake up on Tuesday and, and Ron isn't in this world. It was a, 
a very tough thing. I think the big the big comfort in it was a couple of things he'd asked me in the days before he died. <laughs> he asked me totally out of the blue, "Will I be your husband in heaven?" <laughs> and I said, "Well, you know, I don't know if there's marriage in heaven, but if there is, most certainly because you're my husband." Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. so. I, I just also felt like at, at that this time that I, I you know those plastic strips that hang down when you walk into a walk-in cooler to keep cool air in. Yeah, I just uh, I had an image in the days after he passed away that that's about the separation between this world and heaven, and he's you know right there on the other side of yeah. the the clear door flaps of heaven if there is such a thing that it's. His life continues. It's not here, but it continues. And um, I'm separate from my loved ones, but that's that's what he gave me to to cope with at this time. How do you find joy again? How do you find laughter and love? Did you did you lean in on your faith? Was it friends? Was it the counseling that helped? Was it just time? Like, how do you go on and live a thriving life? after something like that? So there were days after, there were months after that I would be driving down the highway and I would I would look at the divider and say, if I crashed my car, I wouldn't care. I just hurt so bad that I didn't care if I lived or died. So I'm laughing now. You, you hear it. I, I do have joy in my life and the passage of time, but more than that, I want to say, that nine months before Ron passed, about then, I just felt, get in a church, Mary Beth, you know, just get someplace where people can find you so you can be useful to other people, so you can be in fellowship with other Christians. And I asked, I asked my friend, where do you go? She said, I'll save you a seat. And this just opened up a crowd of wonderful Christian people my age and a small group Bible study, and they all knew Ron. And he just layered in and provided me with this marvelous group of people that showed up at my house, mowed my lawn, put my shutters up, befriended me, let me cry on their shoulders. So that was like a provision in the middle of it. And then I I have to say what brought the joy back has been a friend invited me to a Bible after read the Bible in a year. And when she said, let's do this, I said to myself, great, here's another thing to fail in February. <laughs> but it's just an awful idea, but you want to do it. Okay, I'm in. And really just reading the word again on a consistent basis for myself and meeting him by myself. I'm talking to him about what what now, Jesus? What do you have ahead of me? Because I I've had the miserable days, and that's not what he promised me. When I saw that man Larry talking about Jesus helping him build a building, I wanted that. I I already had the drudgery of putting one foot in front of the other and digging dirt and eating worms. I'd lived like that. I joined up with Jesus for victory and for overcoming and for joy in this life now, not when I wait to get back to heaven. So 
just getting getting back to hey man you know you you know you've you've left me here actually there's, there's a a good recent scripture that I'm I'm, I'm going to talk about and then I'll stop talking so much but <laughs> in the <laughs> in Exodus they're they're dividing up the land uh, as an inheritance to the 12 tribes and it goes it goes to the men but one of the the tribe's daughter realizes that the inheritance that her husband's been giving is a desert. So she says to her husband, hey, let me ask my father for a blessing. And, you know, she's being obedient and following protocol that way. But she goes to her dad, and, and I'm grossly paraphrasing here, but she says, hey, you know, you've put me in a desert land. Give me the upper springs. Give me the lower springs. You know, get, give me some nourishment down here in this place you've put me because, you know, I want it to be productive and beautiful and flourishing. And, and when I read that, I think that's an exodus. I prayed that. And, and I said, you know, give me those, give me the upper springs and the lower springs, which is living water. Give that to me here because I'm in a desert and it's going to stay a desert, man, unless you water it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm fresh out. <laughs> I love that. I love that so much. You know, so when we talk about the nuggets, you know, as you look back over your life and you, and you talk about God's goodness and the nuggets that you take out of these really, really challenging situations, what have been the nuggets for you? I think over overarching is that he's real. He's real. This life is is up to him, and the success of it's up to him. You can count on him. And I just can't ever forget that the people that prayed for me in the beginning had a conviction that you know, Jesus is going to answer. And if he doesn't answer me about you that I'm trying to help, he loses me too. That is not how I grew up in a church, but I I got that. That answered something for me that I'm going to pray for people like that too. I'm going to believe if he's done it for me, then he'll do it for you. He has to. He, he can't lie. His book is full of promises that he's made. And, and I hold that up to him a lot and say, you said, and I might sound like a kid sometimes, but the more I learn about him, the more I see that that must just kind of give him a twinkle in his eye when somebody takes him at his word and says, you said so. And I want some of that because I, I do want to live an overcoming, exciting, fun life because his book is full of people living that way. So I think those are my big nuggets. <laughs> I think those are awesome nuggets. And I think that's extremely powerful. Well said. I think that's a, that's a good thing to kind of camp on there. I guess my question would be, you know, as I imagine somebody listening right now, there's certainly going to be somebody that Mary Beth is listening that is experiencing trials and tribulations, challenges. Maybe they're extremely anxious because of the uncertainty of the future. Maybe they're, you know, fearful because their business uh, may be lost. Maybe they're contemplating a, losing a house because they've got no way to pay for it. You know, like there's a lot of things that we could all be worrying about uh, right now. I guess as somebody that has survived all of your worst days up to this point and survived what I would argue as some of the worst days that somebody can be dealt, what would your advice to that person be? What would you say to somebody right now that's feeling like 
they're overwhelmed and maybe hopeless? I'd say talk to God. Get someplace quiet and talk to him and don't let him go till he answers you. He will. Uh, he hears you. He's real. He loves you. One word from him will change everything. Um, talk to him. That would be my advice. Oh, well that. said. Yeah. That was that was good. Thank you so much for your story. Thank you so much for your vulnerability mm-hmm. in sharing your story. I have no doubt that what we talked about today and what was heard today is going to impact lives. And so I just want to say thank you from us to you for your story, for your wisdom, for your wise words, your faith, your power, your overcoming. I I just think that you're an example of what we should all strive to be, faithful even when we don't understand, faithful even when we don't get it or understand his plan, even when life is challenging even when we're dealt a hand that we did not expect or don't feel that we deserve to rest in his love and his faith i think that that's what you're about and uh i certainly had a had a great time talking with you today so thank you very much yes thank you thank you both for the opportunity to hear the good things and for broadcasting hope Mm -hmm. my goodness Mm -hmm. what a fabulous show thank you Thank you. Well, you're welcome, and uh, we're gonna keep on, keep on. We're, yep. we're it takes. See, we're inspired by people like yourself. Yes. When you come on and talk, I mean, like, <laughs> how can I talk about my small problems that are frustrating <laughs> me right now? When I hear, you know what I mean? Yeah, Jen, for sure. Jen's flabbergasted right now. She <laughs> yeah. was, she was like, just when she thought it wasn't gonna get any worse, like the 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 double whammy hit. <laughs> exactly. And the triple whammy. Yes. Yeah, that's, 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 that's plenty, Jesus, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> that is very true. Thank God for that. <laughs> Thank you so much, oh, Mary Beth. Boy. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. You're so welcome. Bye-bye. Was she or was she not the most awesome person ever to interview? She is so sweet. What do you think about her interview with Mary Beth? She is so sweet. I really, really loved talking with her. Her story though, like I want to say it, it was, it made me sad. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't reveal to you all of what we were going to talk about and it gave me goosebumps. It gave me teary eyes. It just, it was, there's just so much going on for her to have three different things. I mean, her mom and her grandma pass away at 19. She becomes an alcoholic. She gets diagnosed with stage two ovarian cancer. And then her husband passes away. Like, I thought she was going to have the fairy tale ending. I thought it was going to be, is. you know, like it's. Well, she I, is. I, she will. I understand that, mm-hmm. but I'm just saying, in terms of like, like the story mm-hmm. to this point, I when I first talked to her, I was so excited. Okay, you you you, yeah. you beat alcoholism, right? You you beat cancer, and like you get to have this awesome. Yeah. You know, and then she loses the love of her life, right. and that 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 just seems like like the. That felt like a sucker punch. Right. Like a life sucker punch. Like when you least expect it, boom, yeah. right across the chin. And you know what she says about everything, about all of it? God never left me. Yes. That is powerful. The faithfulness right. of her mm-hmm. in the midst of that. Yeah. In the midst. Because a lot of people, I got to be honest, a lot of people would, would throw their hands they up. They would have tapped out, yeah. the, you know, if they couldn't recover from being an alcoholic. They yes. would have tapped out. 
they would they would have just said, you know, this isn't for me. God, right. why'd this happen? And mm-hmm. and I think like when bad things happen to some people, it makes them shun faith. Yes. But she's somebody that I aspire to be, and that is that when those bad things happen, that like you rely on your mm-hmm. faith. You go to it, like you rest in it, like he's carried you. You know, it's like it, it it's it's like the visual. I've seen it, you know, and it and it goes with the prayer. Like you see the footsteps in the sand too. And then all of a sudden you only see one. And then God, why did you forsake me? Forsake you. I didn't forsake you. That was when I was carrying you. Those are my footsteps in the sand, you know? Yeah. Oh, I love that. I forgot about that. I do love that. You know what else I love is that she always found like a good nugget in everything. Yeah. Like that is so important to always realize that there's always good in the bad. You just have to look for it. You have to find it, but it's there. You have to mine for it. You have to be conscious to mine for it. You gotta be a gold miner. Yeah. It reminds me of that show. Hey, we live in gold rush. We're in gold country in in Northern California. It makes me want to go out and find some nuggets. Yeah. Let's do it. We can pan for gold. Let's do it, Jennifer. Okay. okay. But first, we've got to tell people how to listen to our show. If okay. they want to listen to our show, where do they go? If you want to gold pan with us, you can reach out to us <laughs> on Hope Radio Podcast on Facebook and Hope Radio Podcast on Instagram. Yeah, you can send us a direct message if you know of anybody that mm-hmm. could be a good guest. If you yourself could be a good guest for our show. Do you want to talk to us? Yeah. Yeah, like let's chat. Then, yeah, send us a direct message, uh, send us a note, send us a friend request, and we will gladly receive that. And then, Jen, if we're on all the podcast platforms, right? Wherever you listen to your podcasts, we are there. Just look for Hope Radio Podcast, and you'll see a funny picture of Sean and I, and that's probably us. You know what? Hmm. I think we should do this again. I think we should do another Hope Radio podcast. Okay, let's do it. You know who I'm going to talk to tomorrow? Who? I'm going to talk to Charlie. Charlie had a problem he had cancer in his jaw he lost half his jaw to cancer so he's got this implant for his teeth etc yeah but that sparked something for him okay and he goes back as a traveling musician he sings <gasps> even though he's got like a, a prosthetic for his mouth he sings to people in cancer centers and he's got this really cool colorful guitar reminds me of a mm. 70s vibe totally your hippie vibe it's got yeah. a peace sign on it i can't wait to talk to him that's who we're talking to tomorrow sounds like he found that golden nugget it sounds like yeah